My name is Terrell. I'm a compulsive movie though probably most of you in this room know that. Um, I'm going to pass around a picture so you can see graphic details of how the disease ravaged my body. Both my sponsors have arrived late to this meeting. <laughs> so, where do we go from there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so I'll qualify. Um, who here hasn't heard my story? Well, I know maybe you have. Okay. Then there are some people here has not heard my story. So this, I got something to go on. Uh, it doesn't have to be the greatest hits of Terrell. Like, oh, talk about the donuts or talk about, you know, Europe or talk about, like, no. Okay. So, um, but I will qualify. Um, my top weight is somewhere around 325 pounds and um, I have 38 years of abstinence. So, um, that makes me that, that makes me um, an opinionated old-timer, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of the fact I'm an old-timer. I don't like the term long-timer. Um, to be here for 38 years absent means I am old, right? I'm, I mean, it's, I mean I, I, I'm 62. I mean, I don't care what you say, but if you're 62 years old, Soon I'll be eligible for Medicare. That means I'm, I'm that in the older generation. So I'm an old timer, and I have an, <laughs> and I have an opinion, um, and I have an opinion based upon experience. Um, when you've been coming to meetings for as long as I have, you see a lot and you hear a lot. Um, and boy, you hear some craziness. Ugh, and you see some craziness. And you also see a lot of recovery and see a lot of health and a lot of changes. I was thinking this morning, like, oh, you know, newcomers, if there's newcomers in the room, talk about, you know. And then I was thinking, like, well, newcomers, who's going to show up, like, the, week, the weekend before Thanksgiving, right, to be at their first OA meeting? And then I thought, wait a second, that's that old way of thinking? Because that means they think they're giving up something that they're going to be suffering through Thanksgiving because they're giving up something. They're giving up, like, oh my God, I'm going to be miserable because I can't eat my pie or I can't eat the way I want to. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a holiday. It's the composer's holiday. It's like everyone does it. We don't, get, we don't stand out in a crowd because of the way we binge on, on Thanksgiving. And they, they're actually, someone's out there thinking like, oh, I can't, I can't start today. Because the Thanksgiving is coming. And those of us that know, go, oh, shit, you're going to hell. You're going to spend a week of hell thinking that it would be better if you didn't start before Thanksgiving. And those of us in this room who, have been, who are abstinent knows that's the opposite. And that's that stinking thinking we come in with in, in Ovaries Anonymous. That we think like, oh my God, I'm going to give up my food and what's going to happen. And I, if I can just, I just want to be happy. And, but don't touch my food, right? Don't touch my food. My food is like, don't touch that. I mean, like, I just want to be thin. That's what I really want. I just want to be thin and I want to fit in. I want to be happy. But don't touch my food, right? <laughs> don't, 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 let's not talk about food. Let's just talk about how do I get thin and eat Continue to eat the way I continue to eat. And I know we eat out garbage pans. I know that we eat, you know, we have these horrible stories and so forth. But, you know, you ask a compulsive overeater, do you want to give that up? Well, 
It depends. <laughs> right? What's in the kitchen cupboard? If, if there's nothing in the kitchen cupboard, well, the garbage is going to work. And that's who we are as compulsive overeaters. We are true... I mean, if you're a true compulsive overeater... And when I say compulsive overeater, that's a double-edged sword, right? It also means you're a restrictor. It also means that you're anorexic. It also means that you're bulimic. I come from the old school days. Here comes an opinion, just so you know. We're all compulsive overeaters in the sense that because we somehow food is a, is a, is a problem for us. And if we're not a compulsive eater, because a compulsive eater, you're like, oh, I had one bite, and okay, fine. You had one bite of cookie, and that wasn't a problem. Maybe you're an overeater that tell me, tells me that, like, oh, you don't have one bite of cookie, or maybe you don't have any cookies all day long, and maybe you're not going to eat all day long. Because you know that it's, ooh, if we start, maybe that's, that's the God getting at me. Oh, jeez. The, the 12-step gods. Anyway, um, I guess this pitch is going to be a lot different than the last pitch I did here, isn't it? That last pitch. The last pitch was uh, after elections, and I was all over people for not being of service, and I got up in people's business on that pitch. And I've heard about that pitch from the podcast about how, oh, my God, you really read those people, the Riot Act, and also thank you because we needed to hear that in our inner group. So, but anyway, moving on. Um, and then my dear sweet Seppi is... <laughs> was 10 minutes and one of those, I guess, right? <laughs> you know, she texted me like, no, she was going to be late. Um, so, let's see. Where, where, oh, so the pictures I'm passing around, you're going to see me at my top weight. That's in high school. Uh, I don't have any pictures of me fat as, a, as an adult. Um, really, I've never been fat and a fat adult. When you're 38 years, when you've got 38 years of abstinence, uh, which means I came in when I was in my mid-20s, and before that, you see the, that's the voting picture. That's when I was... Controlling and manipulating my food the best of my ability, which is you don't eat all day long. And that's why I know I'm a, that's why to me it's a double edged sword. That's the two sides of the coin. I knew that I had a problem with food. So I knew that if I didn't, if I didn't pick up the first bite, I was safe. I came into Overs and I was the first time when I was 17 and I learned that. It's not the first bite, it's not the hundredth bite that puts the weight on, it's the first. And I knew, you taught me at 17, you start, you won't be able to stop. You start, you won't be able to stop. And I learned that because I knew that was true from my own personal experience. If I start, don't know when I'm going to stop. I once said it to, at, a, at a, a retreat I did about, like, you know, you never know when that binge is going to stop. You, if you pick up that first bite, you don't know when the binge is going to stop. And this gal raised her hand and she said, oh, yes, I did. I always knew when the binge was going to stop. I said, you did? She said, yeah, tomorrow. <laughs> Um, right? That's us. That's who we are. The bit, like, we think we can just, you know, like, oh, go pick up a little bite of this. And next thing, and no, no ramifications, no repercussions, because we see other people do it. And they're, you know, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but as growing up as a fat kid, and also the gay kid that I knew inside, I was, well, I didn't use the term gay back then, but it, it, being different, I just wanted to fit in. That's my bottom line. I just wanted to fit in. And being fat, you did not fit in. And so I tried everything in my power to try to fit in. And so being fat was being picked on as a kid. And I was like, I don't know, to me, it was like, I forgot where I'm going with this whole conversation. Oh, my God. Well, anyway, so... um, 
So I just so I've, I learned that you just don't pick up, right? You just don't pick up, and that's what, how I maintain my weight at 160 pounds, um, which is about 25 pounds less than I weigh now, maybe 28 pounds less than I weigh now. I mean, but I was I was healthy, right? I mean, I was at I was at goal. Well, I didn't think I was at goal weight. My goal weight was 149. Um, <laughs> Because the doctor scale, you know, if you get in the doctor scale, that big weight had to be on the 100, not the 150, because it was on 150, it made you fat. And so, of course, I didn't want to be fat, because I just wanted, I mean, I just wanted to be thin. That was the bottom line. If I could be thin, then I could be happy. And if I could be happy, then people would like me, or that, I mean, I would become popular with the, with the kids, and then I would be like, I could breathe. And I'd feel safe and secure. Because the bottom line is, I, I never felt safe and secure for my home life, because I grew up in this alcoholic family. And this alcoholic family was turmoil constantly. I was thinking about this the other day. My home life is very peaceful, very quiet, very stable. And it's the complete opposite of what I grew up with. I mean, I grew up with my stepfather yelling, you know, take you and your fat ass kids and get out of my house, you know. So that's what I grew up with. So I never really had anything where I could go out and, I mean, I would go to school and be picked on and be called Terrell the Barrel and, you know, like, I mean, nowadays we call it bully. Back then it was just, I was just the fat kid that was picked on, right? And then I'd come home and I'd, there'd be alcoholic t- p- um, parents drinking and fighting and, you know, not know, I don't want to bring kids home. So I'm, I'm not the typical ACA or the, the typical, uh, you know, the, the people pleasing. If I could just make everyone happy. <clears throat> it talks about in our big book about if I can just manage life, if I can just control life, if I can just get everything settled, then I can find satisfaction and happiness. But the problem that I know about life is chaotic. It's, life is chaos. There is no, no matter how many times you try and get all your ducks in a row, something's going to happen, right? I told you I have a very nice, stable, quiet household. Well, I have a friend staying with me for two, two, a couple of months uh, as he works in a movie down here, and he broke the leg on my sofa. Oh, my God, that's chaos, right? I mean, but, you know. Also, there's, I've scraped up my car three times. My, I mean, I have a nice Lexus, but I scraped it up three times in my carport as I'm trying not to, you know. But that, that's chaos, right? I mean, and you can go like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, right? Crack, I dropped my phone, you know, a while back. Crack all over. Chaos. Oh, by the way, you don't do what I want you to do, period. <laughs> right? Chaos. I mean, if you did what I want you to do, then that'd be everything would be fine. Right? But that's, the, that's what... So when I live in this chaotic life, I've got to find some way to deal with this chaotic life. And the solution I had for the first umpteen years, or first of my, for my teenage years, was that if I could, I would go into the pantry, dry some, grab some dried spaghetti, run in the bathroom and eat my dried spaghetti. And that, or then when I got, got uh, old enough to, to drive and left my parents' home, um, I would stop by the donut stand and get nine or ten donuts on the way home. Like, and that would be how I dealt with life. It literally, it was, life was chaotic, just like it is now. There's no difference between chaos back then and chaos now. But the way I had to deal with chaos back then was I had to go get my food. I had to binge. I had to, because if I got my food, I could breathe. Right? I mean, literally, it was like, when you get, if you're living in constant state of fear and agitation, which I was, because I was never know how I was going to make you happy, and I remember what you were doing, and, and I just didn't know if I was okay, and I just, I, so, this constant source of agitation, irritable, and discontent, 
the way I knew how to do with it was like, okay, let me get a bite of food. And once I got that bite of food, boy, I could breathe. Right? I could breathe. And then it was like, then when I was not eating, it was like, okay, but I'm getting sin. I'm going to be sin. I'm going to be sin. Right? Because I'm going to be sin. But I'm not sin enough, but I'm going to be sin. Right? And then it was like I had another way of just trying to seek satisfaction out of manipulating my life to suit me. The problem is, I became crazier and crazier. I became more irritable and more discontent because I was not dealing with the issues that were affecting me. I, did not, I was not given the tools for living as a child. Bottom line. The, the tools I got was, you don't tell the neighbors everything you know. You, you, um, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Um, you know, like, literally, like, don't, there's no sense in crying. Shut it up. I mean, those are tools I got, right? So then here I am dealing with this chaotic life. And like I said, it's chaos today. There's no difference. It's just how do I respond to that chaotic life? I mean, I always like to say a sign of someone's spirituality is not what happens to them, but it's how they respond to what happens to them. Because I got news for you. Shit's going to happen to you in your life today, right? Something's going to happen either today or this week that's going to be beyond your control. And how do you deal with that? Step one says I'm powerless over food. Well, hell knows. I can stop eating donuts. I did not want to eat my donuts. I, I mean, there's no... Is, is anyone kind of confused by the fact that, that you gain weight because you eat too much food? Is that a... Is that a <laughs> Is that a mystery concept to anyone in this room? I'm sure, I'm sure someone has probably told you in the past, you know, you, you, if you eat that, you're going to gain weight. You know you're such a pretty face that maybe if you stop eating less food, you might haven't, right? Maybe you've never heard that. But, so I'm just going to let you know that if you eat too much food, then you're, more food than your body needs, your body will store it as fat, and that's how we get fat. There is no mystery there. There is no freak of science that goes like, oh. And so, I mean, there are a couple of people out there, they go like, I see them eat everything they want. And it's like, wow. But then maybe they probably don't see everything. I don't get to see them 24 hours a day. So I see them might eat a lot of food right here, but then they get busy and don't care about food. And they might be able to have a little bite of chocolate and just leave it alone and never think about it. Right? But, I mean, most people in this room, if you give them some of their food, one of their favorite foods, and you take a bite of it, cut in half, or maybe cut a little sliver, and then take a little, you know, and then try to have a whole a full conversation with your friend, and it's sitting right there. <laughs> right? And you're looking, you're, you're supposed to be making eye contact at them, at your, but the food's sitting right here. Right? That's who we are. Well, are you going to eat that? Don't you have to go to the bathroom? Oh my God, it's getting late, right? That's who we are as compulsive overeaters. If you're not relating, maybe this program's not for you. But that's what makes us different from an, a weight loss club. Because if you want, want to go to a weight loss club, they'll tell you, like, well, if you portion control, you know, just do, just do these little portions, you'll be fine. Anyone here got a problem with portion control because they didn't know what a portion was? <laughs> you can read the back of the box. You know, you can read the label. It goes like, well, it's, uh, you know, it's a quarter of a cup. Boosh! Right? <laughs> it 
it's a friggin' bag. Don't you love that where you go like I'm back of potato chips? Oh, it's one ounce. Well, okay. Let's get out and measure these one ounces. Well, now I got news for you. Nowadays, I do weigh my one ounce of potato chips. I mean, I know it's crazy, but that's what I do because I nowadays my food plan is I count calories. Don't let it disturb you. Some people got disturbed by the beginning, but I've lost 30 pounds in the last two years by counting calories, which some people might call it weighed and measured. But oh, by the way, that's not the solution. I want to be very clear that a food plan is not the solution to the problem, right? Because we're compulsive overeaters. Everyone raised their hand. So I don't think there's any visitors here that, were, that, that did not claim to be a compulsive overeater. Um, we, want, we, don't, we want to eat what we want, right? We want to eat what we want when we want it. And we don't want any ramifications of that. And so one thing that we really go into is we go into denial. Well, it wasn't that big. Well, I, I, I know, I'll start tomorrow. Well, I said that yesterday. But you know what, that, that was yesterday. To, I'm going to start tomorrow, right? That's like, oh, well, it's the weekend before Thanksgiving. You can't possibly start a diet that day. Not thinking, right, so you're going to be miserable and, be, and not present at your Thanksgiving festivities. Or you might not even show up because you're too fat. Or you might not show up because you don't. You might not have been inviting anybody because you're you're such a cratering compulsive overeater that you just you're not really social. So people really don't. And if they do invite you, you go like, yeah, they didn't mean that. They didn't really. They don't really want me there. That's the type of compulsive overeater I am. I used to say that you know if you invited me, you had to call me before you and before the event to go like, all right, just make sure that you know you're invited. And I, then I might head would go like, well, it wasn't. And it, it wasn't a written invitation. So they might send me a written invitation, and then my head goes, well, it wasn't engraved. Yeah. Right? Well, then they send an engraved invitation. And then my head goes, well, it wasn't platinum engraved. <laughs> because see, it's, you've got to keep confirming, assuring me that I'm okay, because it didn't come from inside. Right? I turned to food to make it okay. I turned to you to make me okay. So I, I, it's not that I could just, I could, I, it's not like it had to come from inside. It was like it wouldn't come from inside. Because I was a piece of shit. I knew it. I was this fat kid. I was a homosexual. Is that five minutes? Okay. I didn't get started. Oh, that, I guess that's broken, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so where was I? I? You know, I should get to my story. <laughs> I forgot where was I. What was I talking about? I mean, you know, this is just, you're my home group. So, like, friggin' hey. I mean, like, I don't know. Um, so, oh, I was talking about, yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I started, I got, I gained weight, right, in absence. Because I've got news for you. I'm not a saint. I want everyone to know I'm not perfect. I know every now and then you will put me up on a pedestal. Take that pedestal. You know, I was told for a long time ago, for every Palm Sunday, there's a crucifixion. <laughs> and I believe that. Because I will never live up to your expectations of what I see in your eyes. Um, oh, so I should probably talk about the steps. The program changed my life, right? The program changed my life. What did it do? It made me change my stinking thinking. The funny thing is, when I walked in the doors, I didn't know it was stinking thinking. I just thought it made sense. Right? It just makes sense. Like, well, of course you turn, like, 
Food's going to take care of me. Let me give up my food. I can't give up my food. That's how I breathe. Well, we're going to give you the steps. We're going to give you God. Well, man, I don't want to... No. Does, it, does God equal a chocolate cake? I don't think so. I know a German chocolate cake can take care of me a lot better than your higher power. I turned to your higher power. I tried God when I, before I came into the program. And I wound up fat with these alcoholic parents, being a homosexual. What, what good is this God you want to give me? Well, then I found out like you, that was my stinking thinking. And the wonderful thing about this program is we get to say, make God whatever you want. Now, I could say you could make this desk your higher power. I once said that at a meeting in Pasadena, Texas. You can make this chair your higher power. And this woman got in the middle of the meeting and said, that's blasphemy. And then stormed out. And then the secretary of the meeting got up and apologized uh, to the group that he invited me to speak, but he heard I had a lot of weight loss. <laughs> no, that was, the, that was the wife of the... But, you know, once again, this homosexual shows up in Pasadena, Texas, the home of the Ku Klux Klan and the Nazi party. And I'm sitting there, and it was in the early 80s. And, of course, you know, but that don't make any difference. My higher power, we don't, we, that was not party line. The party line is you can make anything you want your higher power. My higher power today is peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, patience, integrity, and laughter. That's my higher power. Ain't no God of parking face. Ain't no God that's going to do divine intervention. But if I do to peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, patience, and laughter, if I turn my will my life over the care of that, as opposed to fear, anxiety, distress, uh, less than, not good enough, because I can turn my will my life over the care of that easily. Right? I can go dark. We all can go dark. That's why we showed up in these, meetings, in these rooms, because we know how to go dark. Oh, we know how to go dark. <laughs> what we say in this program is, no, baby, you got it wrong. Go light. Go light. We're not talking about weight. We're just talking about, wow, just take a moment and go, wow. All, this, all that Michigan that goes up in here, you just go, it slows. It gets better. And then when, I, when I'm not this, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, then all of a sudden I'm going like, oh, things become clear. I intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle me. But if I'm like in fear and anxiety, oh my God, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, then you kind of go like, oh wait, that kind of lead me to these, these decisions based upon fear, self-centeredness, self-pity, and that stuff, that type of thinking, gets me in trouble. Gets me down into situations which I find very uncomfortable. But if I go, peace, love, kindness, tolerance, happiness, integrity, hope. Wow. Okay. Now, some people might call it Pollyanna. I've got a sponsor who calls it Pollyanna. So what? I'm happy. You can be right. You can tell me right and say, oh, my, my higher power screwed up and this world is a horrible place and oh my God, I got this whole litany of all these things that's wrong with this planet and what's wrong with this world and politically what's going on and all this stuff. Well, is that going to keep you abstinent? Because to eat is to die. And that's what, we're t- that, that's what we learned in this program. To eat is to die. And the reason why we continue to come to Overs Anonymous is because we do not want to die. And that's the reason why my abstinence is I do not commit suicide with sugar or flour. 
Because that's what I do. When I eat sugar or when I eat flour, I kill myself. Thanks for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us, anyone else after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are, are of Overeaters Anonymous. And just so you know. Um, actually, oh, so you read as it says. Also, please remember the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need to identify. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, okay. Thank you for sharing. After 38 years, which is a long time, what do you do with the idea that I know it all, I can do a little bit less today? Uh, the question is, uh, after so much time in program, how, how do I deal with the, the thought of I know it all, I can do less today? Um, are you talking about less program or? Less program. Um, I can. I can do less because it is so ingrained in me after 38 years. Now, that's 38 years, right? Let's talk about what I do today is completely different than what I did when I was new. Completely different than what I did when I was five years abstinent. Completely different than when I was 10 years abstinent. Completely different than when I was 15, when I was 20. There's a, there's a foundation that gets built in me, that has been built in me from since I was 1979, right? If you think of that, that's when I got... That, my last venture was January 6, 1979. Think about that. That's two, three, almost three and a half decades. Right? So there has been an emotional change in me, but I'm still a compulsive overeater. I still need to continue to come to meetings because food still calls my name. Now, I'm not obsessed with it. I don't go like, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. But that's why I hear people go like, ask the question to old timers. Um, well, how do you keep program fresh? And I'm thinking like, are you not a compulsive overeater? Like, do you, I mean, like, the food thing never goes away. It, it gets arrested. It's like, it's on the back burner. It's a non-issue. But as my sponsors say, it's not about the food until it's about the food. And every now and then it becomes about the food. So what do I do today is different than what I did when I was five years abstinent. When I was, for the first, I mean, I was probably 10, 15 years abstinent. Complained about, no, maybe about up to 10. All I do is I go to meetings. Seems like every night of the week I go to friggin' meetings. Right? I, where's my social life? I, I want to have a social life. All I'm doing is sitting in meetings. Guess what? Seeing those meetings for all those years build a foundation that I don't need to have my butt in a seat in a meeting every night of the day, every night of the week. I also have a support group. I have a sponsor. So it's, it's a continue to work the program, but as I've evolved and grown, so has the way I work the program. You, someone that with... 38 days of abstinence cannot have the knowledge and understanding I do. And those of you that like, go like, oh my God, like, like, guess what? At two years abstinence, I was sitting on sofas in, in the Gay and Lesbian Community Service Center crying about relationship, crying about some boy. I mean, in my first year, I was in tears a lot. And the, I was like, 
Y'all don't have the pleasure of knowing me when I was new. I was crazily insane. I know that. And that is one German chocolate cake waiting for me. And that I believe. I am one German chocolate cake bite away from, from going back to making it about people, places, and things, and what can I do to make you happy so that I can be happy, and what can I do to, to get thin, and maybe if I do, you know, and all this knowledge and all this information that I have, when I take a bite of German chocolate cake, I'm saying, oh no, I have a better eye solution. A bite of German chocolate cake is going to solve, is going to solve all the issues in my life. Next question. Um, step 10, um, continue to take personal inventory and went wrong, promptly admitted it. Um, I don't do much writing these days, um, but I do continue to take a mental step, a 10 step. Um, I once had a sponsor, probably about 20-something years abstinent. Um, I wrote a lot, new. So let, once again, let's make it very clear. There's a difference between having 20 days, 20 months, 20 years, and 38. Let's be very clear about that. Okay, so if you're asking what, what today looks like, I mean, I used to write almost a nightly inventory. Like the first several years of my abstinence, I would almost pretty much write a nightly inventory to deal with all these emotions and feelings that I was turning up inside. Like I would go out to dance in the discotheque and be totally like, like how these emotions and so forth. So I had to put them down on paper. And um, so I wrote a lot. And I, about, I was about 20 years absent, something like that. And I asked my sponsor, I said, give me an inventory to write. Tell me what to write. And she said, you already know it. Now it's time for you to do something about it. And since then, it hasn't, I don't feel like, the, like yeah, I, I, got, I got my issues. Right? I, I understand this. Now, sometimes I get a little confused, and then I will call someone, or I will, will some, I have put pen and paper in this last year. But that's my attempt. Oh, and when Ron probably admitted it, yeah. Because you know what? I won't look you in the eye. I don't, I don't want to run from anybody. Um, step 11 nowadays is, um, so it's been through many edifications once again, right? Um, I have gone through many outside channels looking for, med- looking for spiritual life. Um, I'm, I'm try to, I mean, I try to get in the right position, do all that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of information knowledge that comes at me. Nowadays, um, and, and there was a time when I would spend an hour in meditation with, with things. I mean, literally, it's, nowadays, it's kind of like, I just try and get quiet. And I try to be in the moment and be clear and present. And my favorite meditation is, And that works. Not very long, but it works. Um, so I do, I do, um, I spend about 10, 15 minutes in my bed. I also, I go, I do cardio in the morning, and that's very, mind, I know I'm watching all these news shows and so forth, but it brings me back in the moment. Though someone once said, um, maybe you might want to not be so active when you're doing a meditation. And I took that to heart and went like, oh, right, maybe I will sit there and be quiet for 10, 15 minutes. Just being here. And when my mind starts to wonder, I go, peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, patience, laughter. Then my mind will go like, oh yeah, and then when I got to get this job and this client, blah, 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 and then I got to do it, like, peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, laughter. Right? It brings me back. 
Just bring us back to the moment. Because that's me as meditation. Prayer, like I'm going to pray to, pray to, even if you believe in a supreme being, you're going to pray to a God and goes like, okay God who doesn't know? Like, okay God, you know I want this. Like, really God didn't know that? <laughs> like, what does, what, what do you, what, like what do you think God doesn't know? Right? Like, what do you think God doesn't know? Like, you're going to beseech this God to go like, oh God, please, you know I'm running late and I'll, I'll, I'll back off. So anyway, next question. Hi, Ron. Can you um, talk about the road to your spiritual awakening? What happened? Kind of where in your journey did that happen? Sure. Um, so when I, I, I was raised Baptist, um, which being a, a homosexual was not really, the, the, really, you know, in the step, it like, really wasn't the thing. Um, anyway, so... Um, and then I just got, then I went to a, a liberal arts college and learned about Buddhism and Hindu and like, uh, you know, meditating on a mountaintop, uh, contemplating the navel. <laughs> then of course I was gay, so you know, in the 70s that we didn't, you know, we left, we had Anita Bryant, so that was, she was over there, you know, that was kind of God, Anita Bryant, that was like, and then, um, and then I got into program, you told me about higher power, and I kind of, I, you know, I'm, I'm a people pleaser. So I started saying, okay, if I said God in my pitch, you liked my pitch. And I got the deal, right? So you talk about God. You just talk about God in your pitch. And people go like, oh my God, it was a great pitch. And you're going like, oh, okay, so I understand this deal. So then it was acting as if, right? Like acting like I believe in God. Then it evolved and I had a spiritual experience in Roxbury Park walking out of a meeting um, from their clubhouse to Santa uh, Olympic Boulevard on a Friday night after a meeting. And... Uh, I heard this small, still voice inside me says, Terrell, you're going to be all right. It was much right to be here as a tree. And it was the first time, oh, and it was, and I love you. It was the first time I didn't feel like I was breathing your air. Because up to that point, I believed that any second, any one of you could come and snatch my breath away. So I felt like I belonged on the planet, which is the first time I felt like I belonged on this planet at 20-something years old. Um, that evolved into a higher power where I became a very strong... Uh, I was a spiritual guru or whatever you want to call it, spiritual speaker. I mean, you book Terrell for spirituality. He's, he's so spiritual. And I, tr- I really pursued the spiritual path. I even told my sponsee, he said, you got to get a, a concept of your God before you, um, so you have one that you can rely upon when you, when you, you, you feel like walking in the spiritual desert. What happened was, um, the 19, or the 1999-2000 election cycle happened. And, uh, I heard a lot about God. And uh, I was using the word God. They were using the word God. They were using God against me as a as a gay man. Um, and it was like, wait, they're saying God, and they're saying God. And then uh, a year later, people flew in a building, and one of the last words was talking about God. And it was like, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. And then I started watching the uh, um, uh, Science Channel and uh, History Channel. And they're talking about, like, back in the uh, Egyptian times, uh, the pharaoh had to come and open a closet door or a covered door to let the sun come up because otherwise if he didn't open the covered door, the sun would not come up. Um, and then I started hearing about, reading about science and going, like, oh, my God, this infinite universe. And, and I'm thinking there's a God in heaven. Like, no, maybe a Big Bang, maybe evolution, maybe something happened. And so I became an atheist. Um, very clear-cut atheist. Uh, my, one of my sponsors is like, you're a agnostic. No, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in a supreme being. I don't believe in a deity. I don't, no, I ain't there. So then here I am with a pro- in program, having 30-something years of, or whatever, life of absence, 
talking about a higher power, but not believing in a, a deity, not believing in God. And so I had to find my own. Got it. Peace, love, hope, kindness, tolerance, patience, integrity, laughter. That's my God. And it works every friggin' time. And anyone in this room is free to use it. You can borrow it. Ain't no, ain't no limit to it. Ain't no limit to it. Yes. Yes. Um, how do I deal with the power of a step one? Do I still feel the desperation of powerlessness? Yeah. I am powerless over my life. I'm powerless over food. Bottom line. No, there's 11 other steps that follow through on that. This help, teach me how to deal with that. Step one says I have a problem. Step two says, hey, if you, ain't got, if you got this problem, like if you're powerless, you better find a power greater than yourself. Look around you. Look around you. This, this, this room has more power than me. This room, looking at these people, when I come here every Saturday morning and feeling part of the group, because I, I do feel part of this group, and because I gave service and not because I, I want to, my ego wants to go like, oh, you're different from blah, blah, blah. No, I feel part of this group. So there's a power greater than me here. And so I decide to turn my will, my life, over care of this, of this power. I can't name it. I can't look at it. I can't, I can't write it down. It's just here. So then it was like, okay, so if I'm powerless, and by the way, I, by, by me being living in fear and anxiety, I created issues in my life that I need to go take care of. So that's step four. is like literally just making a list of things that happen. Step five is I shared it because, you know, sometimes I think, it's, I, think it's, I did something wrong. I should know. Did nothing wrong, but I'm born guilty, so it's all my fault. So I have to do step five. And then step six and seven is go like, hey, I got this. I got stuff on in my life. I need to get rid of this. Right? And I tried to fix me. I tried to develop self-esteem. God knows I tried to develop self-esteem. I tried to love myself, which is a crock of, you know, you've heard me say this. We do not learn to love ourselves in this program. We learn to love you first. And then we look at how you look at us and you go like, oh, my God, I mean, I'm not a piece of shit. You, wait, I see how you look at me. Okay, that's what makes us love ourselves. Not because, oh, I'm going to love myself. I am, that's the most self-centered act that we can do. I'm going to love myself. No. No, we can't do that in these rooms. Then it's like, okay, so then I'm going to turn this power. Like, okay, folks, you, you people, somehow when I like, do the 12 steps, something changes in me. Eight, nine, I got to go clean up that stuff, right? Make mistakes. Step 10. Continue to take first inventory. Remember wrong properly? Step 11. Get quiet. Just get quiet. Step 12. Act like an abstaining member of Bobri's Anonymous. That to me has the most powerful words that I can ever say. Act like an abstaining member of Bobri's Anonymous. I have told sponsees, do not behave like that. That is behavior that is not appropriate to someone with think of absence. That is newcomer stuff that you're running around here with. Crazy people do that type of behavior. We are abstaining members of Overeaters Anonymous. Act that way. Stand up. Be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. That's who we are. And then I don't have to worry about life being unmanageable. Next. 
Um, in the moment when you're like, if someone makes you upset or if the Jew Asian makes you upset, what is what is your kind of go-to thing to kind of um, I don't know help like calm yourself? Because like sometimes you like eat at people or anger, and even though you know ultimately you kind of do you know you take an inventory on it. But what do you do in the moment? So the, the question is, when people, places, or things do not go the way I want and they irritate the crap out of me, what do I do? <laughs> I do two things. One, you want to be right or you want to be happy, Terrell? Two, do you really understand who they are? Do, where are they coming from? Don't make it about me. As a composer, we make it about me. That, that all their actions is about me. And I don't know why someone's doing something. I have a classic story about this. I was seeing this guy. And um, anyway, I, actually what happened was I, I met... I ran into this guy at, 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 on this Santa Monica Boulevard in front of a gay bar. We started talking. He's like, oh, we, wait, we used to date. He's like, yeah, we used to date. Like, many, many years ago. And then he starts, we started talking some more. And we're like, wait a second. You stopped calling. Like, Austin was like, clear cut. And I knew the reason why he stopped calling me was because I was fat. I was too fat and too ugly for him. The reason why he stopped calling me was because he saw a white picket fence. And I said, I never put, put up a white picket fence. He says, no, I did. You were too good. And I, I couldn't deal with it. So I had to walk away. For years, I carried around the fact that I was too fat and too ugly. That's the reason why the guy didn't want to date me. So when someone irritates me, I go, right, I don't understand where they're coming from. And I, can be, I don't want to be right or I want to be happy in this situation. Thanks for letting me share.